This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to Low Vision Moments. It's the podcast all about those sometimes frustrating, potentially embarrassing, but often pretty comical things that happen when you are just going about your day with a visual impairment, blindness, or albinism. I'm Jenny Bovard, your host, and on this episode, number 32, we're likely going to get more personal than ever in in a new way. And if you're a frequent listener slash watcher, you might be thinking, uh, she gets pretty personal. But I assure you that it's 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 going to be TMI, too much information for some people. You have been warned because it's not often that I share about my health and issues related to that, as well as the experiences with healthcare and hospitals and doctors that go along with all of that. Let me tell you, when you're born with a rare genetic difference like albinism, and you've got other medical concerns going on throughout your life, you gather a lot of interesting experiences and and probably more experiences than the average person, I would say. So this time around, we're going to call this episode Bad Medicine. And unlike the Bon Jovi song, very catchy, Bad Medicine is not what I need. I don't think it's what any of us needs. But here with me today to compare notes and give us perhaps an American perspective on their healthcare system versus our Canadian system here, which is not all it's cracked up to be, let me tell you what. Um, but I'm so lucky to have these two hosts of the Rare with Flair podcast. So fortunate to have the two of you here, Casey Greer and Cassandra Mendez. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. I would love if you could take a moment to tell us more about the Rare with Flair podcast. I'm a big fan. I love listening. I feel like we're all buddies and it's nice to come together. And that's the kind of weird thing that happens with podcasting. But for those who don't listen, tell us about it. Yeah. Okay. So Rare with Flair was really just born out of Casey and Mai's friendship together. Um, so we met years ago at a Maransky Pudlak Syndrome Conference and hit it off. I think that um, we were about five years apart in age. And so when we met, I was like a teenager and she was in college. And so it felt a little bit more of an intimidating age gap, but we still were good friends for a while. And when we would talk, which was like, I don't know, a few times a year. Um, we would have these three hour long FaceTime calls that we crossed every type of topic, but mostly related to um, disability and having hermansky pudlak syndrome, which we both have. And I don't know, in the pandemic, we were getting bored. So you both do something really unique with this podcast, and I'm going to steal something from your website. I love a couple of things that you say on there. Your two best friends living your best rare lives. And I think that refers to the fact that Hermansky-Pudlak syndrome is a little rare, um, as with albinism, is we're, we're kind of rare. And you say that, again, on the website, I was trying to think of a way to put it into my own words, but you do it so well, I'm just going to steal it. You say that you're 
sharing your lives to showcase the beauty and normous normalcy in disability and to have fun together, of course. And that just so rings true to me with what I want to try to do with this podcast. And I, um, I think you do such a lovely job at doing that showcasing piece and the normalcy piece. Um, because the more of us that are out there doing this kind of thing, the less mysterious it becomes. And normalizing is is very powerful. So thank you for what you do with the podcast. Casey, was there anything that you wanted to add there? Oh, no, I think Cass covered it pretty well. Um, we we decided to name it Rare with Flair because we talk about the rare piece, which is our rare disease, Hermansky-Pudlak syndrome. But we also talk about the flair, which is our interest in fashion and music and other things like that. And so we really wanted to hit on both of those things to to show the normalcy like you were saying. So, yeah, no, we have a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And something else that you do is you cover like a wide range of 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 topics. It's not all about albinism. It's not all about disability. It's it's your lives. And, and in a really fun way, there's always something that's kind of relatable. I really enjoyed your recent episode about how to annoy the two of you. Um, and 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 I can't believe you didn't mention littering. I was kind of offended, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, but before we move on and get into some fun low vision moments to some bad medicine, can you tell us a little bit more about Hermansky-Pudlak syndrome? Because we have touched on albinism in on this podcast. We have touched on a lot of different things, oculocutaneous albinism, ocular albinism, but we haven't touched on Hermansky-Pudlak syndrome. So could you give us a little bit of a rundown and help us understand a little bit better? Sure. So Hermansky-Pudlak syndrome is a rare disorder and it causes albinism and visual impairment, as you know, but it also causes a bleeding disorder. So our uh, dense bodies in our blood are not formed properly, so they don't clot the right way. So we bleed easier and we bruise. Um, and then in some certain subtypes, it can cause uh, like GI issues, like Crohn's type symptoms, and it can cause pulmonary fibrosis, which is a fatal lung disease and often has to be treated with lung transplants. And it can cause some other things too, but uh, Cass, do you have anything else? I think I covered most of it. Yeah, I think you did it. I think the funny thing about having HPS is that it, it's so rare that we have this like boxed description that we're so used to just handing out to every new doctor we see. So I think I think you did it. <laughs> yeah, we have like a script at this point, pretty down pat of what it is. So it's it sounds like it's pretty complex and and without a doubt has an impact on on your day to day. And I feel like I've called on the perfect people to come and sort of talk about the the medical side of things because you've no doubt had some experiences over the years with that. And and thank you for taking the time to explain and describe it. And and I can't tell you how many times I've had to sort of explain to a doctor that I have albinism and what it is. And that always kind of shocks me. So you must that must be kind of exhausting that you have to do that all the time. It can be. I think the network does a good job of trying to empower us. The Hermansky-Pudlak Syndrome Network is the organization that kind of is our flagship. They help look for research opportunities for, I don't know, remedies for cures. I don't know. 
Um, they also put together conferences and things to prepare us as patients. And um, I think they do a great job of prepping us to advocate for ourselves. Um, it's just something that is part of the nature of having a rare disease. And so one of the cute things that is and has been a mainstay because we lack the dense bodies in our blood platelets. When you look at a regular blood platelet, we're getting scientific here. When you look at a regular blood platelet under an electron microscope, it has these little dots on it, which are those dense bodies that help your blood clot. Uh, and they look like chocolate chip cookies. And then ours don't have those and they look like sugar cookies. So a lot of times when we go to a new doctor, we bring them cookies, maybe as a bribe. I don't know. Like, <laughs> please remember us. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Uh, like, way to put a positive spin on the whole thing <laughs> and bring cookies into it. Like, I am sold. That is absolutely fantastic. Oh, my goodness. So let's get into these low vision, bad medicine moments in low vision moments podcast tradition i'm gonna kick things off and i i said at the beginning we're coming in hot okay we're 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 coming in with definitely tmi too much info for some people but that's just how this we just have to be transparent sometimes now not a lot of people know this about me but in my early 20s I had my first colonoscopy, and that's pretty young in the grand scheme of things to have your first colonoscopy. It was an interesting experience. I remember that they didn't give me quite enough of the medication to sort of like knock you out. So I couldn't feel anything from the neck down, but from the neck up, I was very alive and aware and alert and inquisitive and very annoying. I would not shut up, and I kept trying <laughs> to have them explain to me what was on the screen. And before I go any further, I should explain what a colonoscopy is. <laughs> so here we go. It's essentially a procedure where a camera on a flexible, a flexible bendy thing is inserted into your butt. And it's a way to <laughs> That's the way. It's a way. It's a way to uh, check the health of, of our colon, our large intestine. And I think that that's all you really need to know about the procedure. <laughs> There's a camera on the end of it. And so the specialist is able to look on a screen while the, while the camera is inside of you and take a look around your insides. So I was seeing like a lot of pink on the screen and not really understanding what I was looking at. And there, there, there was discussion amongst the team about, oh, they found something. So I was like, trying to get them to describe things. And the next thing I know, I'm pretty sure they pumped up the drugs and I passed out because they're like, this one just won't shut up. So um, <laughs> good news is they, good news, bad news. They found uh, a few tumors in my intestine, but things turned have turned out to be okay. I just have to go on the regular to, to get colonoscopies to get things checked out. So now that you know about that, a <laughs> recent follow-up appointment I had my I'm I have really excellent in in my opinion orientation and mobility skills how do you both feel do you feel like you're sort of like above and beyond the average person I, I like to think so but I think that that's maybe yeah. my inflated ego <laughs> well, I think we're, we're both pretty pretty well versed in O&M I find myself like 
So I go into, there's a series of waiting rooms and in the final sort of waiting room area, before you go into the procedure, you know, you're sitting in this little waiting room with a bunch of other people half naked in your little hospital robes. And it's already kind of awkward, but in true, I don't know why, but my mind does this is I, I take a look around and I'm scoping out the room and I'm and I'm picking up clues like, oh, the nurse's station is over to my left. I can see them mulling around there. There's a, a curtain, interestingly, making up one of the walls of the waiting room. Okay, that's, you know, normal hospital kind of thing. They put dividers up all the time. So I go in for the procedure. Everything goes fine. I should note here, there was a student in for the procedure and I don't know if it's just me but there always seems to be a student and it makes me wonder like am I an anomaly or did, were they just following the specialist that day I don't know does that happen to you it has I think a lot of times when we're around <laughs> the doctor wants to show anyone wants to show us to anyone around basically to be like wow you're never going to see another person with albinism for a while so here they are and yeah so I feel that for sure I have this memory of going to a dermatologist, I think, when I was young. I was at the pediatric hospital. And I remember they asked, and I was with my mom, obviously. I remember they asked, like, hey, is it okay if we bring the students in? And I I said, you know, my mom asked me, and I said, sure. And then, like, they left, and I, I felt like a celebrity, no lie. Like, it's like, wow, <laughs> they want to take pictures of me. <laughs> I'm yes. so cool. But I, <laughs> then my mom was telling me like later, like they might put that in a textbook, you know, like, oh, oh right. They might put that in a journal somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's run with the celebrity uh, feeling. I, I like that. But I'm, I'm not sure what the case was in this case. The procedure went well. There was a student there. I hope they learned something. But where the real trouble came in this follow-up procedure was in the recovery room. And I don't know if any of anyone has experience in a GI area colonoscopy recovery room, but it's a musical place. Uh, part of the procedure is there's a bunch of air that's put into your body so that they can look around, right? So that they can look around your insides. <laughs> And so when you're in this recovery area, part of it is not only are you coming down off of the medications, so you're able to walk out of there or whatever, but you're expelling the air that was pumped inside your body. So it's a very musical, very flatulent place. And for some people, it's more of a big deal than others. I'm usually like pretty ready to go after a few minutes. I'm like, these drugs are out of my system. I got it all, all the gas out. I'm good to go. So I had been you know, musical myself, of course. And I'm laying in the bed. I'm feeling pretty good, like thinking I'm about ready to go. One of the nurses comes in, pulls the curtain aside, checks on me. And, you know, it's a room full of other people who are recovering. We're separated by all these curtains. So she opens my curtain and I, and asked me, you know, how you doing? We have our little exchange. I think I'm ready to go. She's like, you need a few more minutes. She doesn't know. She doesn't know how alert I'm feeling. But anyway, I'm awake. And I notice, like, as she's leaving that I can see the nurse's station and I and I'm like, oh, OK, I'm kind of I know where I'm situated now in the room because I had taken these notes before just naturally 
with all my orientation and mobility training throughout the years. And I'm like, okay, I know then I noticed the nurse's station over here. And, uh, and I'm looking around, I'm very alert at this point, And I notice the curtain behind me is the same color. The curtain that my behind is facing is the same color as the curtain in the waiting room that was making up the waiting room wall. So I'm lying there thinking, wait a minute, there's no way that this curtain that is my behind is facing is also the curtain that makes up the wall in that little waiting area before you go in. And there were seats there. So there would have been people there. Their head level would have been, their head would have been at the same level as the bed I was laying on. So I'm like, damn these orientation skills. I did not need to know that I was serenading these poor people in the waiting room. Hey, they knew what they were in for. I love how you put it. They didn't need that. No one needs that. <laughs> I love the way you describe it, though, as like a musical experience. At least we're making it sound like a more flowery thing than <laughs> You're serenading. You're just giving them a show. You're just serenading. I felt embarrassed and terrible for the people who were sitting there because it like legit okay tell it's kind of like tell me your healthcare system is overcrowded without telling me your healthcare system is overcrowded <laughs> yeah. you got post colonoscopy butts facing the poor waiting room people i felt here and to exit this place I knew again because of my orienting myself that I had to walk by I had to walk by this waiting room to leave the place as well. So it's oh, like a human fish. Shout out to all my instructors. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it I I felt like really bad for those people and and but shout out, you know, to all those instructors who taught me orientation and mobility. I uh usually I think they're a blessing, but in this case I think they were a curse. Have you ever been sort of cursed by maybe your orientation skills or any kind of awkward anything can you match that basically is what I'm asking. <laughs> I think we both can. I think we both have a few. So I actually have told this story on our podcast before, but you know, we don't have all the same listeners and maybe people will want to hear it again if they have heard it before. But um, so Cassandra and I, with having Hermansky pelvic syndrome um, at the National Institutes of Health up in Maryland, they study HPS. So we are kind of test subjects and we, we voluntarily go there to, you know, try to ultimately help find a cure and get re research done. There's this fun thing they do called the 24-hour urine jug. Oh, my God. And <laughs> I remember this. It's essentially exactly what it sounds like. It's a jug um, that you have to urinate in for 24 hours. But it's not as easy as it sounds because you are tethered to this jug for 24 hours. And also you have to keep it on ice or it's gonna essentially like spoil and they won't be able to use it. But they don't really explain to you how to keep it on ice and what the best way of doing that is. So I'm sitting there, they were like, yeah, you just need to keep this on ice. And then they kind of leave. And I'm like, well, don't know how to do that. So Cassandra had been more recently than I had been there. So I, I'm sitting on the floor of this hospital, like about to cry, just really frustrated. I call up Cassandra. 
I'm like, how do I keep this on ice? What am I supposed to do? She says, okay, don't worry. I got you. Um, there's a lounge that we stay at as patients. And she's like, at the lounge, there's an oh, ice maker. You said a lounge. You said a lounge. <laughs> oh, it's not a lounge. It's a lounge. <laughs> we always go. That's a weird fucking lounge. Um, it's called the Sephra Lodge. But we joke that it's the Sephra Lounge, and now I'm apparently I'm calling it a lounge. <laughs> we like, like to so romanticize to this place where we're test subjects yeah. and think that we're at like a like a hotel bar. Or it's something. a retreat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. It's, it's in fact not. It's in fact not. But she was like, I got you. Fill it up at the lodge, not lounge. <laughs> and I was like, cool, great, love that. So I have this bucket with my urine jug. I know this is so TMI, but I go uh, to fill up uh, the the ice in there. And of course, the ice machine is broken. Um, so I'm standing there at like literally 11 o'clock at night. The ice machine is broken. I have a urine jug. This is like in a public area, you know, people walking around. Um, and so my, my mom was with me, like my mom and I are really close and she comes with me for moral support. Cause this is a lot to deal with. Um, <laughs> even though I could go at it alone, she's very kind to support me. So anyway, we're like scrounged, like, you know, rummaging around this kitchen, this public kitchen to try to find anything. And we did end up in the freezer finding these ice packs that we were able to use for the jug. Um, but I'm like, you know, when those moments happen, I kind of just have to sit there and be like, what is my life? Um, and why? But, you know <laughs> I got to get these piss jugs on ice. <laughs> and the fact that I knew exactly what she was talking about when she calls me and she's like, how do I keep this on ice? I have appointments tomorrow. This is really important. Yeah. I was like, who else can I like, what kind of conversation are we even having right now? Like, most friends talk about like normal things. And here I am calling up my friend in a panic about this urine jug on ice. But thank uh, God you had someone to call yeah. because no, thank you. <laughs> I feel like that sounds like a real logistical nightmare. It and was. before I go on, piss jugs on ice sound. It just sounds like the most. I know that in your podcast, you made a joke that it sounded like Disney on ice. And I nearly <laughs> speaking of piss, I probably I nearly pissed my pants laughing. <laughs> Uh, it's still very funny, but yeah, it's... Cass, that was Cass's joke. Cass gets the credit for that one. That was a good one. Uh, I can't unhear it. I can't. Yeah, I know. Now we just hear it. Like Disney on ice, piss jokes on, on ice. Disney on ice will never have the same ring for either no. of you anymore. It's <laughs> it, I must say it sounds like a very East Coast Canadian thing. Piss jugs on ice. Um, I, I, I'm just gonna leave that statement there. People who get it will get it, and, and but. It sounds like a real logistical nightmare. Like, sure was. do they not like refer you to a website or a form of like instructions? No. <laughs> Here's how to keep you. Like, what do you? They have instructions. You shouldn't have to phone your friend and be like, "Yo, how do I?" The NIH is, is bizarre. Like, they do amazing work, and we're happy to go there and be part of research. Like, I want to get that out of the way so it doesn't sound like I'm complaining. But at the same time, it's run by the government of the U.S. So, like, people perpetually don't know what they're doing there. Uh, it feels like they're trapped in, like, another space where, like, they don't know how they ended up there, and every day is their first day at work. 
and it's just it, that's that's how it feels talking to anyone except like the core team that focuses on hermansky but life syndrome because you'll you'll go somewhere with instructions and they kind of look at you and shrug like i don't know where you heard that from i don't have your orders for a <laughs> ct scan you're just gonna sit here for an hour it's true it's true and we're so grateful for what they do like she said and we're grateful to do it and you know they've made a lot of progress with research but sometimes you just have to laugh and be like this is not it's so out. funny. Yeah. And I think it just goes to show that like no system, no organization is, is perfect. And even when they mean really well, like sometimes shit just happens. You know, one hand doesn't necessarily know what the other is doing. And the collaboration is maybe just isn't there. But yo, you need, you need, someone's got to do up an instruction sheet, tips and tricks, <laughs> right? tips and tricks for how to keep your, your, your Jug on ice. Jug on ice. <laughs> I can't even fathom. Like I can't even <laughs> fathom the logistics. Uh, oh my goodness! Wow. I think. Yep. I think you might have. You might have. You might have topped. I don't know. I think Cass could probably top. <laughs> oh, see. So I think the thing that helps me be able to top this is that my life is consistent, like shit jokes, because uh, as as part of hermansky pudlak syndrome, I have um, I was diagnosed with colitis almost over over ten years ago now, um, and when I was around eighteen, I got my colon removed because bleeding disorder plus sick intestines makes for life threatening bleeding situations, and so um, I have been without a colon for about for over eight years now. Um, so it's hilarious because yes, I just I have my shit on my person like I carry it on me at all times so I've had relatively few I mean just compared to other people with ostomies that I know um, I've had relatively few situations but it's impossible to have none and it's just there's constant enjoyment out of everything that it entails so I mean I was at the airport recently and I have a guide dog so normally when I'm at the airport I go through the metal detector and I don't have to go through the little body scanner thing that's at the airport in the U.S. So anyway, I was, because I was traveling internationally though, I didn't have my guide dog with me and I had to go through the body scanner. And I forget that every single time I go through the body scanner, they see there's something special up there. Like, what are you stashing in your front? I need to know. And so they, like, I'll walk out and they're like, so, um, so so can I just um can I give you a little a little rub like like it, just, it feels very I hope like they don't consensual. do they say it like that can I give you a little rub like, I've never had anyone in the airport talk to me like that they're like they're really nervous oh. about it because it's like close to oh, my crotch okay. uh, yeah. and so yeah that's why they have to they, they're kind of nervous about asking like can you can I pat is it okay if I pat down this area and then I usually disclose and I'm like sure yeah I have an ostomy bag just so that they know uh, because if not they will totally interrogate me but like on my way back I had not gone to the bathroom recently I was on like a seven hour flight and when it I mean it, it gets full so I have like a bulge on me because I have to go and like this woman's like really like trying to approach with caution she's 
so what 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 and I was like oh I've got an ostomy bag she was like is it okay if I pat down the ears like I'm sure I mean I'd approach with caution because I haven't gone to the bathroom in a minute and she kind of rubs it and I can just hear the oh no (laughs) And and she's just like caressing my bag full of shit and <laughs> that's just an it's you know, so I, that's a t-shirt caressing I, my I, bag I, full of shit right <laughs> <laughs> they make me rub it and then they test my hands to make sure i didn't like put drugs in there i what? Felt like wow. they made it was what? fine really? but they make yeah they test my hands wow. oh yeah, so if you ever want to stash drugs, I guess it has to be back. Go through the full surgery to get your colon removed, just so you can bring drugs. Then got it. It would be complicated. It's really, it's really thinking, you know. That's yeah. a level of commitment. I I don't know a lot of if a lot of people have that. Right. I thought going through security was a pain in the ass, but I I you know you don't think of these things as someone that doesn't have that lived experience or like any any close relationships with anyone that has had that experience does that happen often like were they when you travel is it an issue because i mostly go through the metal detector it's not um then they know oh, right and no, you mentioned that right no you're good and no one can really see it unless it's like very full and you know what you're looking for so you know it's it's general I say that and it's generally really discreet. It's just when they like look through the body scanner, they can see like a more concentrated blob of something. And so then they have to ask about it, which makes sense, you know, want to be secure. But it, it, they told me when I got an ostomy, like, hey, you may need to tell people at the airport, which I thought was absolutely bizarre, but it does happen. I need to ask, how did that person end that interaction with you? Do you remember? I think she was kind of ready to to move on. Like she was she was nice about it. She was like, "Oh, okay." Like she was, I don't know if this was her first time knowing this, but I was just like, "Okay, bye. Have a nice have a nice time." It does feel like weirdly kind of intimate because like it is like, you know, lower abdomen. I I don't know. I the first time this happened on my way out, um, I had to also disclose, even though it wasn't nearly as full. But like the poor woman, I had to, you know, I have lots of issues, and so I had to stash my cane in the conveyor so they could X-ray the cane, and then I'm telling them that I have an ostomy, and they're like, "Oh man, you poor tragic." child I just, yeah you're going through a lot tsa knows way more about me than some of my friends i don't <laughs> <laughs> i can't put myself in either person's position right now um just if just the, yeah i don't know i just I, i'm kind of speechless only because it's it's a totally this is a totally new thing to me to try and fathom and i think it is for a lot of people but it's a very real thing for a lot of people and I just I I think you're I think you're awesome for being so positive about it because it would be you know it could be you you could be easily annoyed by having to do all of these things and instead you sort of take it with a grain of salt and you come here and tell us this hilarious story and we come up with a t-shirt idea. <laughs> right. And you know I think that perspective and context matters mm-hmm. a lot. I almost had no other choice but to get ostomy surgery, I really tried to exhaust all my options because they always would tell you that surgery is the last resort. 
Um, and of course, like I didn't set out to get my colon removed, but it has, I mean, it gave me, I had no quality of life before this. I, for six months, I was reduced to almost nothing. I was in constant pain. And so when I see the before and after when I got surgery, I mean, my life significantly improved to the point where, and, you know, I was left really traumatized by everything that happened before. So this was like a vast and far improvement. Um, and so I, I'm happy. I'm so happy with the quality of life I have. Not everyone has the same experience that leads up to ostomy surgery. So people have different feelings about it, but I, I mean, it saved my life. Um, her name is Celeste. Um, so, oh, she's got a name. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people name their stomas. And my thought process was like, Hey, if I'm getting a new thing, I have to learn to love it. And if it, I want to love it, it has to have a name. Mm. Um, so I named her Celeste because she came from above to save me. I, you know, it, it's fun. I mean, it, it's really just funny sometimes. Like you ever just shit in a, in a corn maze? Cause I have like, I, you know, and I, and because I'm basically incontinent, I'll leave it at this. Like, I, I don't have any control over it. You know, I can constantly make the joke that I'm always taking a shit at any given point, no matter what's going on. <laughs> uh, perhaps even as we speak. But yes. you said something that kind of, it made me think of when I had these tumors removed in my 20s. Before then, I had a lot of really shitty symptoms and no joke intended like I just I had a, my quality of life was was uh n not great and after I had them removed it was like okay we know what's wrong and I'm starting to feel better but also beyond that point like when it comes to really anything I it, it put my it, it put things in perspective for me like life's too short to get annoyed at these it, like you what's the What's the point of not going along with it? I'm not articulating this well, but just go, just friggin' go with it. If the person at the airport wants to scan my cane this time, or if they don't, whatever, it's, it's an inconsistent experience. I could get mad about it. Or I could just go along with it and go on with my trip. You know, it's, it, it's having, I think, uh, for me, it was more of a medical scare and just something that I need to keep tabs on. And for some people, it's, you know, it's, it's part of your everyday life, a constant consideration. Um, but it, I don't know, it helped me really put things into perspective, like life's too short to get pissed off and not have fun. And I think that's, that's a big, that was a big thing for me. So I feel like I can maybe relate a little bit. Um, and I think people listening can probably relate as well. <laughs> wow, we have gone down some roads I did not know we would go down. I thought that I talked about shit a lot. Um, and piss jugs on ice, I just, that is a gem. What we do need to make sure we cover is where people can go and find your podcast. I think it's on all the platforms, but how they can they connect with you? Uh, yes, so... Our podcast is on anywhere. You can find podcasts. Um, also, our website, rarewithflare.com. Um, and then we have Instagram and Facebook as well. Uh, Facebook at rarewithflare. Instagram at rare.with.flare because Rare With Flare was taken. So add the dots uh, if you want to find us there. Um, and then um, 
our email, hello at rarewithflare.com. And yeah, you can connect with us that way. But yeah, just we put out episodes like every other Tuesday. You can hear them on our website or any of the platforms that you're choosing. Um, and, you know, we love hearing from our listeners. I think you might be able to relate to this, Jenny, where podcasting is kind of a strange format sometimes because you don't get that instant feedback that you do if you, say, post a video on YouTube. Um, you know, there's no comment section for a podcast. So if you want to hear from people, they've got to, like, reach out to you on DMs or email. So we do our best to reply to people that reach out, um, but don't be afraid to. Uh, we love hearing from people that enjoyed the show. The listeners are listening. I know what you mean. Sometimes you put something out there and you're like, are the people there? Are they listening? Do they care? And they do. We are listening. Um, I love what you both do with the podcast. I'm definitely going to keep listening. And also, I know that you're both very active in the albinism and HPS communities. You you do a lot of advocacy work and you volunteer your time and you, you do a lot of stuff there too. So thank you for all that you do there. It really makes a difference. And and I think the more of us that are out here, um, as you say in, in describing your podcast, showcasing and 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 showing the normalcy and the beauty and disability, and we're out here living amongst you is something that I say. You know, we're we're all around you. You may not know it, but we're here. Um, so thank you for all of that. That 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 you you continue to do and and just stay awesome and maybe one day you'll come back and, and we'll talk about something else but this has been so much fun i can't thank you enough for both being here yeah well thank you so much for having us and like you said earlier i think the more people who are doing these kinds of podcasts the better we've always said that like the more voices of people with albinism and other rare conditions the better um and sharing all of our different perspectives so we love the work you do as well so thank you right yeah thank you there's plenty of room yeah it's awesome that we have several people with albinism that have podcasts um so you can hear interesting perspectives all around i think each show has something different to offer um so highly recommend checking it out and uh for any of our listeners that are on here you should definitely listen to this show it is so funny and you will be so happy that you did <laughs> <laughs> oh so much fun and there there is such beauty in the diversity that is within the albinism community itself that's something that i've really come to appreciate um with all the content that's out there so woohoo Casey and Cassandra actually celebrate Rare with Flair's three-year podiversary the day this episode drops. That seems pretty serendipitous. I feel like it was just meant to be. Having them as a guest has been truly awesome, and I'd just like to say a big congratulations to you two lovely human beings on that podiversary. We'd love to hear any suggestions or feedback that you have about this podcast, including any tips for keeping piss jugs on ice. Just send an email to podcasts at ami.ca or give us a call and leave a message at 1-866-509-4545. One more time, the phone number is 1-866-509-4545. Just make sure to mention Low Vision Moments in the message, please, and thank you. If you would like to follow me on Instagram and I'm new to the TikTok, you can follow me there under uberblonde4, U-B-E-R-B-L-O-N-D. And the number four, I am sending a musical serenade 
to the following people who make this podcast possible. Marco Flalo is our technical producer. Ryan Delahanty is our podcast coordinator. And manager at AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Until next time, yes, doctor, I am always this pale. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.